Stephen is a pastor at Grace Bible in Colleen and uh, has been a friend of ours since this whole thing of Watershed started and probably one of the more consistent people that constantly asks how we're doing. And so um, I asked Stephen to come be with us today. And so um, he's going to be bringing the word, the same series that we're doing. So um, just continuation of that. So I just wanted to introduce him to you and say thanks for coming, man. Thanks. It's good to be here. Can y'all hear me all right? I forgot to do a sound check before I started. In the back, can't hear me. Stephen can't hear me. How about now? No? A little better? A little better? There we go. All right. It is, it is a joy to be here with you guys this morning. Um, I'm, act, I'm actually a local guy. Uh, I grew up in Florence, Texas. Y'all know where Florence is? Anybody? Yeah, just down the road. Born in Austin and spent the next 18 years in Florence, uh, elementary to high school. And since then, I've never really moved more than two hours away. Uh, I'm a homebody. I, I love this part of Texas, uh, and I love what God, what God is doing here. Uh, and ironically, since, since that's the case, uh, at my church, uh, one of my roles is missions pastor, so they got a, a homebody to, to work with global outreach. Uh, and I just want to give you all a quick little update, uh, kind, of, kind of from the front. Um, this week I've been talking with a couple different missionaries uh, who are stationed one in, in Lebanon. Uh, that particular missionary uh, makes journeys to Jordan and Iraq uh, doing ministry, another one in, in the UAE. Um, uh, and both of them are just saying there just seems to be a, a heaviness that's going on right now, that there's a lot of, a lot of stress, a lot of worry. There seems to be a lot of spiritual warfare, especially with just the, all the turmoil that's going on in our world today. Uh, but at the same hand, they, on the other hand, they say something along the lines of this. They say, but never have we seen God at work uh, in the Near East the way we are today. Uh, one of the things that the chaos of that region has done is it has just opened up the doors for the gospel uh, because there is a stark difference in life because uh, there's no stable government to smash revivals that might spark up, and so, so the gospel is really moving even in the chaos. And that had me thinking some this morning, already this morning, I, I was meeting and talking with a few of you, and uh, it, it sounds like even in our lives, it's, it's a different type of chaos, but there's still a type of chaos in our lives that things are going on, that life uh, can, can be hard, whether that's a, a husband in Korea or Afghanistan or, or uh, just man. I'm a father of three, my wife's a stay-at-home mom, and, and every now and again she leaves me with all three, and it's like, oh my word, uh, how do you do this seven days a week? Uh, but, but there's like a sort of, uh, uh, I guess chaos is the word, but here's, here's the good news, is that even in chaos, just like in the Near East, the chaos is, is allowing God to work there. And think about this, even in our lives, whether it's a husband away or kids being crazy or work not being what we think it should be, what that means is, man, if, if we are willing and we are open, that's an opportunity for God to work in our lives. Um, and I'm hoping through uh, the reading of his word and the preaching of it that, that he'll continue uh, to work in our lives. We're talking about meeting Jesus you have to apologize. I'm going to be turning back and making sure I'm always on the right one to make sure I'm doing this right. Is it changing? There it is. All right, good. We're going to be in the book of Luke, chapter 16. 
I was very excited uh, when Kyle texted me to come and preach today until he gave me the text. And I'm like, thanks, Kyle. Thanks for a hard passage. And then I read it again. I'm like, oh, thanks, Kyle. Thanks for it being a passage about money. Uh, such a good friend. So we're in the book of Luke chapter 16. I think, I think discussions about money is always so hard. It, it reminds me, in fact, of a, one of my favorite pastors is up in New York. His name is Tim Keller. Uh, he's at Redeemer Presbyterian Church. And so he is surrounded by business types and really wealthy people. And uh, so one day, uh, he, he started this Bible study series for businessmen on their lunch hour. And uh, it was over the seven deadly sins. And his wife, Kathy, is a pretty smart lady. She said, Tim, just so you know, whenever you get to the sin of greed, no one's going to show up. And Tim was like, well, of course they will. Like, that's going to be the one that's most pertinent to them. They're in the middle of Manhattan in the financial district. They're all about money. It's going to be packed whenever I do the sermon, the Bible study on greed. Sure enough, whenever greed, the topic of greed came along, uh, what he found is that it's like so many of our lives, our, our, his wife was right. Uh, and no one hardly showed up. And so as he and his wife were talking about this, this, this is what they decided. Uh, no one showed up that day to hear about greed because no one thinks that they're greedy. No one thinks that they have the problem of greed in their own lives. Because what do we do? Uh, we always think that the person who has a little bit more money is the wealthy person. Right? I, I'm not wealthy. It's a person who, who makes a little bit more that's wealthy. I'm not greedy. I can't be greedy. I don't have a large enough bank account. But the person who makes a little bit more, they're the greedy one. And another book that I've read a, a while back ago, David Platt, his book on, it's called Radical, great book. He begins to describe the status of the world financially and said that one billion people in the world one billion people in the world live on less than one dollar a day. One dollar a day. Two billion people, more than two billion people. So you got the one billion here, we got two billion more, that's three billion. Live on less than two dollars a day. I, I can attest to this every year. My church goes to Guatemala. We have a sister church down there and, and we work in the village. Um, and in fact, on Netflix, they just did a, a documentary about that area where they're living on less than a dollar a day. And that's a type of life where your kids get sick and you just pray by a miracle. They don't die because there is no medical care. Where you go a day or two without food because there's no money for it. The global poverty line is at $2 a day. So if you are above $2 a day, you're above the poverty line. Isn't that astounding? I mean, we're always talking about the 1% in America when just about every American is in the 1%. Whenever Jesus talks about money in the Bible, whenever Jesus starts talking about the rich, it is always so tempting for us to say, this isn't about me. I don't make enough. This isn't about me. My bank account doesn't have enough. I'm juggling bills. But whenever we read the Bible and Jesus speaks about the issue of money and the issue of the rich, one of the things that we have to realize is that Jesus 
is speaking to us. When we talk about Jesus meeting the rich, we are the rich. We are the rich. My guess is that no one walked here barefooted. We are the rich. So let's go ahead and read our passage today, and then we'll, we'll jump into it. Luke chapter 16, verses 1. Uh, we'll probably stop in verse 13. Jesus also said to the disciples, There was a rich man who had a manager, and charges were brought to him that this man was wasting his possessions. And he called him and said to him, What is this that I hear about you? Turn in the account of your management, for you can no longer be manager. And the manager said to himself, What shall I do, since my master is taking the management away from me? I am not strong enough to dig, and I am too ashamed to beg. I have decided what to do, so that when I am removed from management, people may receive me into their houses. So, summoning his master's debtors one by one, he said to the first, How much do you owe my master? He said, A hundred measures of oil. The manager said to him, Take your bill, sit down quickly, and write fifty. He said to another, How much do you owe? He said, A hundred measures of wheat. And the manager said to him, Take your bill and write eighty. And the master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by the means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. The one who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much. And the one who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest with much. If then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust to you true riches? And if you have not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give to you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. What we want to do today is we want to look at this passage and pull out four different points. We want to look at two different realizations that this shrewd manager had. And then we want to look at two different teachings that Jesus gives us. So two realizations and then two teachings of Jesus. First of all, we have to realize that the steward realized that he must give an account. Somebody in the town came to this rich owner and said, listen, this manager you've got, you won't believe what he's been doing. He's cheating you, man. And so the manager calls in his manager uh, and says, listen, I need to see the books. I need for you to give me an account. The manager had to give an account of how he was using the owner's money, how he was using that which he was in charge of. And this realization, this realization that the manager had to give an account put fear into the manager because he, he knew that this was his lifeline. This was his bread and butter. If this was gone, he had 
absolutely nothing. He knew he had to give an account. Makes me think about how we also, as God's people, as, in fact, larger than God's people, as humanity, we're all going to have to give an account one day. The Bible says in the book of Hebrews chapter 9 that it's appointed to man once to die and then to the judgment. The author of Hebrews is saying that we are all going to have to give an account of your lives. As a dad, I'm going to have to give an account to how, of what type of father I've been. As a husband, I'm going to have to give an account on what type of husband I've been. I'm going to have to give an account to God based off of what God has given me. He has given me time. How am I spending my time? He has given me money. How am I spending my money? As a pastor, it tells me in James that pastors are going to be judged more strictly. Have I been faithful to the word of God? I have to realize, and you have to realize, that when we die, we have to give an account to God for the gifts and the goodness that he has put in our lives. How does that make you feel? Even me, like, as a Christian, like, I know I have God's grace, but the thought of standing before God and giving an account still just frightens me. And this does lead us to our second realization. The manager, after he realized that he had to give an account, also realized his own deficiencies. So after he left the manager's presence, he started thinking, this is my income. This is, this is my life. This is all I've got. What can I do? How can I make money? How can I survive? He says, you know what? I've been counting numbers for too long. I, don't, I just don't have the strength to be a laborer. I can't go out into the fields. I can't dig ditches. I can't, I can't do that. And I'm just too proud to beg. So the manager, once he realized his own deficiencies, once he realized what he was going without, then said, I know what I'm going to do. And he started calling in all the debtors to, to, uh, to see him have a meeting. Guy came in, owed the owner some oil. The manager said, how much oil do you owe my manager? Owing this much. Cut it in half. What do you owe him? I owe him wheat. I owe him 100 measures of wheat. Cut it down to 80. Many people talk about this and think, man, why would Jesus commend such a guy? Why would the manager commend? Uh, what many scholars actually think is that, uh, is that what the shrewd manager was doing was actually removing interest that had accrued. So in the Old Testament, it's actually against God's law to charge interest whenever you loaned somebody something. Uh, and so uh, even though it's against God's law, still very common to do it, right? But uh, so what many scholars think is that he actually went in there and just removed all the interest that these people owed. Uh, and so what did it do? One, uh, it made him lots of friends, right? That was his main goal. I want friends so that when I lose my job, they'll show me hospitality. They'll invite me into that, my, their house, and they'll let me stay a while. They'll let me get my feet underneath me. 
Uh, the other thing it does, it obviously helped out the people who owed the, the owner things, uh, but also kind of made the owner look generous. And what is he going to say? He wasn't supposed to be charging interest, uh, so he can't really come down on the guy. Um, and so that, that's what he did. He, he realized his own deficiencies, and then he made a plan for the future. We have to realize our own deficiencies. Whenever I was talking earlier about the fact that we all have to give an account of our lives, man, I don't know about you, but when I was reading this passage and I thought about that, I thought, man, I, am, I just come up so short. I was, I was thinking on the way here, um, I was driving here by myself. My, my wife is getting ready for a, a, a missions meeting I've got to lead after the service. Uh, so they're, they're not with me next time. Hopefully they can come. Uh, but but I, was, I was driving here, and I just started thinking, uh, and I, don't, I don't know if you do this. Like Before I go to church, I like try to get ready for church, and I'm like starting to pray, like, where's my sins? Where have I been deficient? Where have I messed up? And then the whole trip, I was thinking of way too many things. Why is it when my kids are right around me, and I, I pull out my and I can just waste the time. And I get annoyed when they interrupt me. Man, I'm so deficient in so many ways. And I have to know that if I have to bring my account to God, if I have to lay my books before Him, He's going to look at it and say, you squandered what I've given you depart from me. But isn't that the beauty of the gospel? Though each and every one of us here is deficient, though we are lacking, though we are without, we have a God that loves us so much. He said, I've made a way for your books to look good, to be accurate. And so what did he do? He sent his son, Jesus Christ, who lived the absolute perfect life, and he died in our stead. And the Bible teaches us that whenever we turn from our sin, we repent of it, and we believe in Christ, what happens is he takes our flawed account away. And what we get to present to God is the perfect account of Christ. It's good to recognize how deficient we are. Because at that moment, we can realize the goodness that God has for us in Christ Jesus. And I know you're probably thinking, Stephen, I, I thought this was a sermon, a text about money, and uh, you haven't really talked about money yet. And, and, and that's where we're getting to now. It is impossible to use your money well unless you understand the gospel. The only way you can use your money well and spend your money well in a way that glorifies God is if you first understand what God and what Christ has done for you on the cross. And that leads us to the two teachings of Jesus. One of his teachings is found in verse 13. Look at verse 13. It says, No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. What is Jesus saying? He is saying that before we were in Christ, one of the things 
that ruled our lives was money. It's materialism. It's things that we can have, things that we can touch, things that we think will bring joy to our lives. And, and, and I know for some of us, man, we get our, our mindset on one thing. It's like, man, if I could just have that one thing, and we just pursue that. Mine is like a, like a rolling, what's it, Rolodex? Rolling Rolodex? Uh, it's like a Rolodex where it just keeps flipping to something else. It's like, man, if I could just have a, a fishing kayak, man, that would bring me so much joy. That would bring me so much happiness. It, 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 I really need to find a utility trailer so I can get some stuff done in my backyard. So I'm on Craigslist, right? And I'm just, I'm just always thinking if I could just have the next thing, if I could just get that thing. And it's just flipping, thinking, what do I want next? Whenever we are apart from Christ or when we're not living in the fullness of Christ, we're always thinking about what's next. How much do I need to get? How can I get more? What will bring me joy? What will bring me pleasure? And what Jesus is saying here is that whenever that is what consumes our life, we're actually serving a different master. We're serving the master of, of mammon, of, of money. And Jesus is saying to us all that we can't serve two masters because we will love one and will despise the other. How can, how can we say that we love Jesus and at the same time always be consumed with things and money? Because wasn't Jesus the one who said, sell it all? And follow me to the rich young ruler. It's a hard master to fall. But when we do turn to Jesus and we are full in Christ and he is our joy and he is our, our sanctification and we love him, we have a fullness in us that allows us to be generous. If Christ has filled me up and I am satisfied in him, it allows me and opens me up to be generous with other people. There's a, there's a great text in, um, in uh, 1 Timothy. Uh, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 17 through 19. He's saying in this text, um, it's on page 994. Just playing. All right. Uh, in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17, it says, As for the rich in this present age, remember who he's talking about here. He's not talking about a Bill Gates. He's talking about middle-class America. That's, that's who he's talking. He's talking, as for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty. Don't, don't be proud with what you have. Don't, don't lift yourself up by this standard, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches. And money and material things are so fleeting. When you think you've got your life set and ordered in a direction and a path, and then something happens and just wipes it all away. This money is so uncertain. But what are we to put our hope on, according to Paul? But on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. So we have to realize that everything in our lives that we have, that we are going to have, has been given to us by our God in heaven. And he has given it to us to enjoy. But the, the temptation we have is to always switch the gift and the giver. 
that we want to say, thanks God for that gift, and now we want to be consumed with a gift. Because that's so uncertain. He then goes on to say, they are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasures for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. This truth, straight from Scripture, if you are the rich, and according to the stats of this world, and according to the text, we are the rich. If we are rich, how are we supposed to spend our money? How are we supposed to use it? We are supposed to be generous, and we are supposed to share. Sharing things that's not even money, right? I, I grew up in the country, um, and so I have a strong belief that good fences make good neighbors. Y'all heard that? I, I love that phrase. Like, what's mine is mine. Keep your hands off of it and just, you know, back off, people. I like things the way I like them. I like them to be fixed and maintained, and I like to use them because I know they'll be used well. But God uh, did me a great favor, a great gift. Um, and about a year ago, my neighbors moved away. Loved my neighbors, great neighbors, but they moved away. And the gift that God gave me was uh, in my small group, I told a buddy of mine, I was like, man, the house next door is for sale. There's not even a sign there. Why don't you move in and we can live next door to each other? Um, and he did. It's been great. Their kids are the same age. They play together. Uh, but the way that God has stretched me is, is that this good friend of mine doesn't have that good fences make good neighbors. Uh, he's like, what's mine is yours, and what's yours is mine type of mentality. Uh, and we got our yards are like an acre because it's like a floodplain. And he's like, man, I don't have a lawnmower. Can I use your riding lawnmower? And I'm like, oh, my riding lawnmower. <sighs> yes. But it's so hard. And he, re he fills the tires up with there even. He's a good neighbor. But it's so hard for me to like let go of that and to share. Like, how shallow am I that that's such a struggle for me? But that's what Scripture is saying. He's saying, people, God has given you every good gift in your life. And he has given you those gifts to enjoy them, but also to share them. The house you live, live in right now, do you realize that house you have is a gift? And what God wants you to do with that house is to share it. He wants you to open it up and let other people come in. That food in your fridge, man, that's a gift from God, and he wants you to enjoy it. But the way he wants you to enjoy it is not by eating it, but also by inviting your neighbors in, by, by inviting uh, fellow members from your church in. He wants you to share it. That money you have, I think one of the things that keeps us so bound up from being generous with our money is that we always live paycheck to paycheck. That our standard of living is always going to match what we're bringing in. We get a raise, man, we're spending that raise. We get another raise, man, we're going, we're, our standard of living just goes up with, with our raises. What if God was calling you to simplify your life? To get rid of, of, a, of, of, a, of a car payment 
that's just kind of a luxury. So you can have margin to be generous with the money you have. Astounding thought that God might call us to do something like that. Jesus said to us that no servant can have two masters. What is your master? Is your master the God of heaven who's given you every good gift to enjoy? Or is your master the gift that that giver gives you? The things in your life. The next teaching that Jesus gives us is back in verse 10. I'm going to go backwards in the text just a little bit. Jesus says to us, One who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much, and one who is dishonest in very little is also dishonest with a little, uh, with, with much. One of the things that the Scripture is teaching us here is that we are to be faithful with what God has given us. Faithful to be generous, faithful to share, faithful to help, faithful to give. And one of the temptations we have is this, and I know because I know it's my temptation as well. It's, it's that temptation to say, when I get a little bit more margin, maybe the next raise I get, maybe, man, it's, it's tax season. Um, I always give the government like an interest-free loan for the year so I don't have to pay them at the end. Uh, Am I going to be faithful with that? Or am I going to say, I just need a little bit more before I can be generous? The truth of the matter is, if you are not faithful with a gift that God has given you right now, you're not going to be faithful when he gives you more or when you get more. If you are are defensive and you are tight-fisted and you are holding what you have close to yourself, when you have a little bit, You're going to be the same way whenever you have a lot. There's parallel passage to this text over in the book of Matthew, chapter 24 and 25, where Jesus is telling the the parable of the talents and the parable of the ten virgins, the separation of the sheep and goats. And these two chapters use the same language. If you are faithful with little, you'll be faithful with much. If you're dishonest with a little, you'll be dishonest with much. It's using those phrases those ideas over and over in Matthew 24 and 25. But the interesting thing is, is in Matthew 24 and 25, he's connecting those ideas to the second coming of Christ. And Jesus, in one of the parables, he says, Blessed is the servant who, when his master comes, he finds his servant being faithful. He finds his servant being faithful. It reminds me of, of the famous missionary Hudson Taylor. Hudson Taylor uh, was a, a missionary to China. And back in his day, in like the mid-1800s, most missionaries just went to coastland. The coastland to Africa, the coastland to Asia. But they never went to the interior. And so Hudson Taylor was kind of the change in that mission strategy. In like 1865, he started a, a new uh, mission agency called China Inland Mission. Uh, And while he was preparing to go back to China, to go into the heart of the country to to reach people for Christ, he started studying his Bible, uh, and he came across this teaching about Christ's second coming. 
And he says this in, in his own writing, in, in his journal. He said, I wanted to be quite sure that my life, that my house contained nothing that I should be sorry to give an account of should the master come at once. I want to be sure that there's nothing in my house, nothing in my life, none of my possessions that I would be sorry for if the master came at once. So what did he do in his own writing? He talks about it's 18, it's 1860, so you know the books were Netflix. Uh, so he, he went to his library and he started pulling out books saying, man, I don't need this, I don't need this, I'm not going to read this again. And, and he went across the street to a, a family who had children but no books and he gave them the books. He went to his wardrobe and he was like, man, how many clothes do I need? I've got two jackets and he took one of them to give it away. And he went through his house meticulously. And then he even says this about money. He said, I found it not difficult, so I found it easy to give away much more of the uh, proportion of my income than I first intended. He's like, I, I intended to give away this small amount, but man, once I started getting rid of stuff and freeing my life from stuff, I found it so much easier to be generous, to give more and to help more. And he says, he says this, and I think this is great application for us. It was for my life. Hudson Taylor said, I believe we are all in danger of accumulating. And is that, an, is that not America? Where else in the world can you rent a garage, like a little storage unit, to fill it up with all your extra stuff? <laughs> I mean, that, where else can you do that? We are all in danger of accumulating. It may be from thoughtlessness, he says, but we are all in danger of accumulating things which could be useful to others while not needed by ourselves. And the retention of which, holding on to those things, entails a loss of blessings. He says this, he says, if the whole resources of the church of God were well utilized, if all of our stuff together, if all of our finances together was well utilized and used well, how much more might be accomplished? How many more poor might be fed and naked, clothed, and how many of those as yet unreached for the gospel might be carried? One of the things that I think God is asking of us today is the two teachings of, of Jesus. He's saying, one, who is your master? Who is your master? Is your master the gift or is your master the giver? And how faithful are we with what God has blessed us with. Let's pray.